Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Economics. Is it a science or a cult? Good evening and welcome to The Money Programme. Tonight, on The Money Programme, we're going to look at money. Lots of it, on film and in the studio. What kinds of assumptions does economics make about things like free markets and the behavior of economic agents? Economics assumes that producers and consumers are rational. But are we? If economics is a predictive science, how did we get in this mess in the first place? Is there any evidence to support the claims of economics? Or have we put all of our faith in questionable assumptions? Our guest is Alex Rosenberg from Duke University. Economics, dismal science or dismal cult? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm John Perry. We're coming to you from the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin on the Stanford campus. That's where Ken and I teach philosophy. Today we're asking, is economics a science or a cult? Well, Ken, of course economics is a science. That's been obvious for 3,000 years at least, ever since the philosopher Thales discovered the law of supply and demand and cornered the market on olive presses. John Thales, you're citing the the authority of Thales? That dude believed that everything is made of water. Come on, some scientist. Well, that was Thales being a philosopher, but he had a practical side too. One year, he noticed that the rains were unusually heavy, and he predicted a bumper olive crop. He realized that come harvest time, in the fall, there would be a huge demand for olive presses. Of course, in the spring before harvest time, there wasn't much of a demand for olive presses. So guess what he did? Uh, I think I see where this is going. He, He bought up every available olive press on the cheap in the spring, and I bet he sold them at a great premium in the fall. Exactly right. Okay, so Thales was a shrewd, astute businessman, but but how does that show that economics is a science? Well, what do you think it takes for something to be a science? Oh, that, that's a tough question. I mean, we could spend the whole hour talking about that question, but, but look, here's a quick stab. Through observation and experiment, scientists seek to uncover laws, laws that enable us to predict and explain things. Well, I think economics fits that bill pretty well. I mean, I don't suppose Thales was really the first to come up with a law of supply and demand. But in addition to that law, economists have, have made all kinds of observations under, of markets under all kinds of conditions, and they've discovered all sorts of additional laws and principles. These all help us explain how markets work, and they're pretty successful. Well, I don't know, John. There's so much disagreement among economists, way more than you find among physicists or biologists. You've got, like, the Chicago School of Economics. You've got supply-side economics. You've got neo-Keynesian economics. You've got neoclassical economics. And it just goes on and on and on. Beyond this basic law of supply and demand, is there really much that they actually agree on? Well... You know, I've got to admit you've got a point there. The late Milton Friedman, champion of the Chicago School, used to say things like, quote, I am in favor of cutting taxes under any circumstances and for any excuse, for any reason, whenever it's possible. 
Modern-day Keynesians like Paul Krugman say things like, the very rich who've had a huge income gains over the last 30 years should pay more in taxes. And just to top it off, they both Krugman and Friedman are Nobel Prize winners. What kind of scientific field gives Nobel Prizes to guys who have such diametrically opposed views? I mean, come on, if economics were really a science, I don't know, couldn't they just go to the blackboard, do some fancy equations, or go to the lab, do some fancy experiments, and work out who's right and who's wrong? I mean, the fact that they don't do that shows it's, you know, no, not really science. I don't think that's quite fair. I mean, just because there are policy disagreements in economics, it doesn't automatically follow that there isn't a real science there. I mean, you could have two physicians who disagree about what's the best treatment for a given patient in a given complicated set of circumstances. That, that wouldn't show that they don't share an underlying biological theory that's quite well-founded. I, I take your point, but in the case of economics, I'm not sure that there really is a single underlying theory that they all agree on in the first place. Political conservatives like, say, Friedman seem to have one kind of theoretical bent, like they're often monetarists. Political liberals like Krugman have their own theories. They're, they're kind of neo-Keynesians. It seems to me a mess. Well, one possibility is that the conservative position is based on sound science, while the liberal position is just based on wishful thinking, or vice versa. Just because there is disagreement doesn't mean there isn't a right and wrong of the matter. That's, a, that's what makes it different from politics, where there's a right and left of the matter, but You're right. often no. not much else. You know, I, I, I'd like to believe this. I'd like to believe it. Economics certain, certainly claims to be a science, but I'd be more prone to believe it if at least one side were much better at predicting economic events. Take the recent uh, financial crisis. As far as I know, hardly any economist saw it coming. Some even have, except a hypothesis, the so-called efficient market hypothesis, that seems to entail that nothing like the crisis we just went through is even possible. Yet people haven't abandoned that hypothesis. How, how's that for sound science? Well, some economists actually did see this crisis coming. And we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Caitlin Esch, to talk to one of them. She files this report. No one saw it coming until it hit. We are in the midst of a once-in-a-century credit tsunami. In 2008, former Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan testified before the House Oversight and Reform Committee. Those of us who have looked to the self-interest of lending institutions to protect shareholders' equity, myself especially, are in a state of shocked disbelief. What went wrong with global economic policies that had worked so effectively for nearly four decades? It's just kind of mind-boggling. You just sort of go, what do you do at the Federal Reserve Board? If you couldn't see that, what would you possibly catch? Dean Baker is a macroeconomist and co-director of the Center for Economic and Policy Research in Washington, D.C. He first realized something was wrong in 2002. House prices were going up, and Baker noticed that vacancy rates were also at a record high. He says if prices were going up because of a shortage of housing, vacancy rates should have been low. And what that suggested to me was that you were seeing speculation. People buying up homes with the idea that they would be able to sell them six months, a year, year and a half down the road at a higher price. And basically we're seeing in the housing market exactly what we'd just seen a couple years earlier in the stock market. 
Baker watched as the bubble reached its peak in 2006 when housing prices soared above the rate of inflation. He says looking back at data from the 50s, the housing market has historically been consistent. Over this whole period, you just have house prices follow more or less track the overall rate of inflation. So when you see a large divergence from a long trend in a huge market, that should set off all sorts of alarm bells. Baker says he tried to warn people. He published papers, wrote columns. He even held an essay contest. We offered a $1,000 prize for the best essay, saying that there was not a housing bubble. And we got, I don't know, 150, 200 entries. Um, interestingly, the, the person who won it was a, a researcher at the Federal Reserve Board. Baker was so sure about the housing bubble that in 2004, he sold his condo in Washington, D.C. Then he rented another condo in the same neighborhood. Baker says he sold the place for pretty close to the absolute high. The buyer fixed it up with the intention of flipping it. Then he put it on the market, I'd say about 14 months after he bought it from us, for a price that was about 15% higher than what he paid us, and it didn't sell. Baker benefited from his economic foresight, but he admits that economists are not great at predicting events that are out of the ordinary. And he says the worst part is we haven't learned from our mistakes. Basically, everyone sort of gave themselves a collective uh, who could have known amnesty about the housing crash. The message is, as long as you do what everyone else is doing, there won't be any consequences. Baker says we've created a skewed incentive structure. So what that means is that if you stick your neck out and go, wait a second, you know, I think this isn't quite right, you're taking a big risk because, you know, we all could be wrong. I could have been wrong about the housing bubble, and for several years I was. And you pay a big consequence if you're wrong against the crowd. On the other hand, if you're wrong with the crowd and there's no consequence, everyone could say, well, that's unfortunate, but who could have known? So we might be setting ourselves up for more bad economic predictions, or so Baker predicts. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Caitlin Esch. You can listen to the rest of this program by purchasing it at iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.